Are you saved? If you died tonight, would you know with absolute certitude that you'd go to heaven? I was maybe a sophomore, junior in college at, at KU, walking on campus between classes when a, when a guy I didn't know approached me, briefly introduced himself, and asked me these two questions. Are you saved? And if you were to die tonight, would you know absolutely that you would go to heaven? I can't remember my response. I wasn't all that well versed in theology at 19 or 20. And I probably just told him yes to get him to go away so I could finish uh, my walk to class. But I imagine I'm not the only one to have had this experience where uh, you are asked the similar questions. Are you saved? You know, very often these questions come from our well-meaning Protestant brothers and sisters who want to help others know Jesus. And as Catholics, our faith is centered on Christ, so we can, we can appreciate their good intentions, as well as admire their courage uh, for being willing to talk to complete strangers about God. However, there is a problematic theological concept behind that question, are you saved? And it's called the absolute assurance of salvation. You know, the idea is this, that if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I'm saved, and I know I'm saved absolutely, and it is impossible for me to lose that salvation. Once saved, always saved, as the saying goes. Now, as Catholics, one of the reasons we don't believe in the absolute assurance of salvation is found in the gospel passage today. We'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts of that in a minute, but first, let's just dig into the gospel in general. You know, in this gospel, Jesus uses a very simple image, the image of a grapevine, to teach us two fundamental truths about the Christian life. Number one, to be his disciple means not just following him externally, but being interiorly connected with him in a very deep and intimate way, as branches are to a vine, in a very vital way. And secondly, the branches, that is, his disciples, it's, it's not enough to just be his disciple, we must also bear good fruit. And our Lord then goes on to explain the difference between those fruitful branches and those fruitless branches. In regard to the fruitful branches, here's what he says. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me you can do nothing. That it's, if we want to bear good fruit, first and foremost, we must abide in Christ and he must abide in us. He must live in us and we must live in him. The question is, how do we abide in him? And that ordinarily begins in the sacrament of baptism. When we are baptized, we are incorporated into the mystical body of Christ. We are grafted on to the vine of Christ and is united to him as our head is to our body. It's a profound union. And it's a union that is meant to grow and be strengthened and nourished. Right? And that happens confirmation every time we devoutly receive the Eucharist. If we sin and this union is weakened or broken, it can be repaired in reconciliation. And then, of course, 
Our communion with Christ, it grows by daily prayer, by daily meditating on his words. Jesus says to his disciples, you are already pruned because of the word I spoke to you. When we daily meditate, reflect on his word, on sacred scripture, his word will purify us. His word will begin to prune us of anything that might serve as an obstacle to us abiding in him. To remove any obstacle to us bearing good fruit. So there's this connection. It's, it's not so much that bearing good fruit means we need to run around in frantic activity trying to do good works. But it means we must first have this deep and abiding union with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we must truly love God. And then if that is the case, good works, good fruit will inevitably follow. You know, as I was reflecting on this, I thought of Mary and Martha, the episode with Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus is visiting these two sisters in Bethany, and Martha is frantically running around with much serving, trying to, to <coughs> excuse me, be a good hostess for our Lord. Mary, her sister by contrast, is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. And when Martha complains, our Lord says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. You know, that one thing necessary is this abiding with Christ, is our interior union with him. And it's out of that that grows all good fruit, all truly good works. But of course, this this image, it also serves as a warning, right? As a warning that it is possible to abide in Christ for a time and then to no longer abide in him, to be his disciple and then be disconnected, severed from Christ by our choices. You know, when he speaks about the fruitless branches, he says that they are cut off from the vine, that the the vine grower removes them and tosses them in a fire to be burned. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out what burning symbolizes, right? I mean, when Jesus speaks about fire in, in the Gospels, he's teaching about the reality of hell. Not a topic we love talking about, not a topic we hear all that much about. And, you know, yeah, it's not the most important part of our faith, but it's not something we ought to ignore either. It's not a reality we should completely ignore. The existence of hell shows us that God respects our freedom and our choice. And ultimately what Christ is saying here is that to be his disciples, it requires a continual yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will abide in you by living this life of prayer in the sacraments, by out of love for you, striving to do good works and avoiding sin, which can sever us from the life of Christ. <clears throat> so I said we get back to this, this question, how are, uh, excuse me, are you saved? How is that incompatible with this gospel passage? <clears throat> excuse me. Well, Jesus is warning us that it is possible for someone who is his disciple, who is part of the mystical body and part of, of, of the vine that is Christ, then at some point to choose no longer to abide in and remain in Christ. He's saying it's possible for a disciple to cut himself off from the very source of eternal life, 
by, through sin, through what we would call mortal sin. But the good news in what he doesn't mention in this gospel passage, however, he mentions it plenty of other places, is that if we ever find ourselves in that situation, we do not have to be afraid or despair because his mercy is abundant and no sin is stronger than his mercy. No number of sins is beyond his power to forgive. And if we go to the sacrament of reconciliation and confess and are sorry for our sins, we will be grafted onto that vine once again. You know, Jesus says in our gospel that his Father is glorified when we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. He has the power, Christ does, to do that in us, to bear good fruit through us. Our job is to remain in him so that he can work, uh, he can bring good fruit through us. So let's pray for the grace as we continue with Mass to abide in Christ so that he may bear abundant fruit through us.